Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. The Michael Reed Show podcast. Tune in weekdays from 9 on LMFM. To contact us, email now. Michael at lmfm.ie. Tuesday morning, the 27th of November. Good morning with much debate and discussion from now till 11am. This is Michael Reed on LMFM. Be brave and help us. That's uh, the front page headline of the Irish Examiner today, which is reporting on a rape survivor calling for major changes in how assault victims are treated. This is Lavina Kerwick, who is featured in all of the newspapers this morning and quote as saying, stop talking about what we wore. Rape is rape. We said no. And what we wore should be no excuse for rape. We will always remember what the rapist wore. It is ingrained in our memory forever. And by that I mean belts to restrain you, gloves to put in your mouth so you can't scream, jeans to carry a knife to threaten you with. It's as clear as day. The system is not working. And the last thing everyone here wants today is to go back to the old Ireland, sweep rape under the carpet and pretend it isn't happening. It is happening and someone will be raped in Ireland and wonder, is this rape worth reporting when the system is stacked against them? Lavina Kerwick already played an important role in helping to change how victims are treated and accusations of rape and sexual assault are dealt with. In 1992, at the age of 19, she spoke out publicly about how her rapist was handed a suspended sentence. Yesterday, she was speaking at the launch of the annual report from the Dublin Rape Crisis Centre and its Chief Executive Officer, Nolan Blackwell, joins us this morning. Good morning to Nolan and thanks for joining morning, us. A uh, very brave woman uh, who has, uh, not for the first time, uh, brought a, a face to the accusations uh, that victims have about being re-victimised through the judicial system in this country. Yeah, and Lavinia is very exercised about this. She has already spoken out at, at Dundalk Rape Crisis Centre when they were um, uh, launching their new premises or, or having the official opening of their new premises. She is very exercised about the fact that change is possible and isn't happening because when she was raped, there was no possibility for victims to have their voices heard at all in the court and to give a victim impact statement. And there was no possibility for the Director of Public Prosecutions to appeal against a lenient sentence. So she took the view back then that this simply wasn't good enough. She spoke out about it and within a year or 18 months the law had actually changed to allow both of those things. So in a, what, what she's pointing out now is that the system was that little bit improved. And then there was kind of a stop in it. There has been very little improvement for complainants in rape cases over the last 25 years, is her point. And she's saying, you know, we could fix it. And she is 
I suppose because she has seen it happen before, she knows change is possible. Both of those things looked impossible at the time she spoke out. Now more and more people are speaking out speaking about how the system is doing the damage to them. Lavinia said it, but women are saying it in 2018 as well. And what our report showed was that more and more people are disclosing now that they're victims mm. of rape and, and sexual assault. Uh, and, and, and because they're disclosing it, they, we, we have to make adjustments to how we do things. We cannot pretend this isn't happening. And we need to make adjustments in terms of ensuring that people get the help that they need to recover and that those who carry out sexual assaults, up to and including rape, are stopped doing it. And the best way of stopping people committing this kind of hidden assault is that they might get caught. And so we have to have a system whereby these um, claims, where, where a complainant can make their case, where the Gardaí will investigate it thoroughly and effectively and where people will be brought to trial and, if convicted, will be, uh, will be held to account. And at our launch yesterday as well, Commissioner Drew Harris, the new Garda Commissioner, committed to ensuring that, uh, he, that, that sexual violence would be reduced for two things, in the interests of the victims and in the interests of bringing successful prosecutions to the courts. And year on year, you've seen huge increases in the number of people who have contacted you. The report you launched yesterday is for the 12 months of 2017. 500 more calls in that year than 2016 and 500 more calls on the previous year, 1,000 more than in 2015, in other words. And that's a total, it's an incredible total, 12,855 people who've made contact with the helpline. Yes, yeah, so, uh, and and the thing is that that's only the people who actually get to the helpline. Not all of those are new callers. A lot of people, even people who are listening to you, will know that you can get back onto the line time and again, you know, if you mm. need it along the way. But about 60% of those who contacted the helpline for the first time were new callers. One of the interesting things, Michael, was we saw an increase in the number of emails and texts coming into us as well, reminding us that a lot of people no longer communicate by picking up the phone to somebody else. Yep. They prefer emails and texts. So that is a development that we're going to have to reflect in how we deliver our service uh, in, in future years as well. But absolutely, there is, I think there is something of a climate of people hearing what, what we're saying the whole time and what you and I have spoken about mm. a lot before, that sexual violence, sexual assault, rape are never, ever the fault of the person who is the victim of them. It is always only the fault of the person who carries out that assault, including that rape. So I think people are beginning to understand that they don't have to put up with it because, as we know, most of sexual assault and rape happens with somebody you know, not a stranger, not the dark alley on a first date out or something. It's the person you know. And people are beginning to understand that it's that just because you know somebody doesn't mean they can abuse their power and give and sexually assault you. 
and, and people are beginning to say more, I think, I'm not going to put up with this. Mm. Um, it's not right. Uh, if the person can do that to me, they can do it to somebody else. And people are beginning to understand that if we don't actually disclose sexual violence where it's happening, if it's not reported, if those who carry it out are not convicted, then we our whole society is unsafe. I take it it's no coincidence uh, that it's the same with physical assault, domestic violence as well. We were speaking with Women's Aid yesterday uh, and the vast majority of those who abuse are known or are in relationships or were previously in relationships with the people uh, yes. that they're assaulting. That actually makes for the best abuse. You can, you can even think about a bully. The, the best thing a bully has is knowledge on the person that they're bullying. The same thing with an abuser, whether it's domestic violence, sexual violence, any other kind of intimate violence. The best information they have is when they can, uh, when they can push buttons on the person they're abusing. So, so often you hear in relation to child sexual abuse, he said that if I told somebody I would go away or he would be put away or my mother would be upset or whatever it is. So you, you can see the way the abuse happens. You, we know that in intimate relationships, people will say um, after, after a row or something, I'm insisting uh, in order to make this up to me, you must have sex with me. Mm. That is a sexual assault. That is rape where there is no consent. Um, and, and it is really, really important that we out it as a crime, crimes that are so hidden, exactly the same with domestic violence. If we can out these crimes, if we can normalise the fact that victims of crime are exactly just that, and those who carry out crimes are criminals, if we can do that, we can actually address the problem and reduce the incidence. We launched our report yesterday because from last Sunday until the 10th of December is a 16-day period where there is worldwide activism to try and eliminate violence against women. Okay, you'll never eliminate it entirely. But if we can substantially reduce it, we can do two things. We can reduce it for everybody because it's mostly women that are affected. We can reduce Mm -hmm. the incidence of it and we can increase equality between men and women. So like that is part of why, as we highlight in, we we highlighted that in our report. We also highlight the fact that 20% of our calls come from men, 10% of our clients in the Dublin Rape Crisis Centre are men. Nonetheless, it is a crime where women are more subject to that form of abuse and where uh, they are more impacted, all the studies show, by what happens. But the increase in calls to you brings us back to where we were when we finished off our last conversation. And uh, if the uh, number of incidents is increasing with uh, the number of people who are coming forward to talk about it, we know that 20 years ago, when the last research was done into this, that one in four people were the victim of a sexual assault in this country. The question now is, has that changed? Uh, You're getting 500 calls more a year every year it seems, but we don't yeah. know uh, what the actual figure is now. And that's fiercely frustrating because we've no baseline. So every time we see an increase in cause, we don't know, are we making any impact on the situation? How extensive is the harm? 
what part is the good? And the thing is, it's not just us, mm. a, a small non-governmental organisation based in them. That's not the problem, running a national health act. The problem is that even the policymakers, the politicians, have no up-to-date knowledge. As you say, 2002 was the last time this was surveyed. The world was a different place. Now people have the internet in their hands. So we, so we have been pressing for a long time for repeat of a deep dive survey, really looking mm. at the at the evidence. What does it look like out there? And uh, earlier in this month, yes, it was still this month, uh, the Minister for Justice, we welcome the fact that he announced that a, another survey would take place starting in 2019 would be carried out by the Central Statistics Office. We were really, really pleased to hear that. However, we, we have serious concerns that there would be, uh, that it would take five years to collect the evidence from a sample of 5,000 people to do the research um, and to, to devise the way that they're going to do it. Of course, it is going to be different to the way they did it back in 2002. Mm. But at the same time, we believe that if there were sufficient resources available for this, it could be done much more quickly than five years. Because if it takes five years, and if there's only a budget given for year one, then we won't have any information until 2024, Mm. which means it will be 22, we'll be depending on information that's 22 years old to get any sense of what's going on. And what's your sense of it uh, at the moment? Do you believe it's uh, a problem that has become worse over the intervening time? I I think it's probably... Well, I think there's two things. One is that there is undoubtedly a change in sexual behaviour and in sexual activity as a result of the way people even meet right now. I mean, one of the things Mm. we noted was that our counsellors are are seeing and hearing more about, say, sexual assault happening as a result of online dating. So online is definitely making a difference in live pornography. Uh, Children are maturing in a different way. Uh, They're they're experimenting sexually at an earlier age. There may be a reduction in child sexual abuse. There may be, but it still seems to be a huge problem. Um, that that even well, even the child protection measures aren't really addressing. So it, our sense is that it is a very serious problem, quite endemic. What we think, though, this time is that in the survey, people may be more prepared to talk about it than they were last time round. Right, OK. And I take it that there'll be more to talk about as well because of uh, the likes of the internet and uh, the amount of people who are watching pornography and what they're seeing and the expectations that they have of others as a result. Yeah, yeah. So, and and that's, that's a huge worry for us, which is why in the Dublin Rape Press Centre we don't only do the therapeutic and counselling services, but we also have education services aimed a lot of them are aimed at um at professionals who are working in on the front line like Gardaí and the prisons if they would accept our training but also at teachers and guidance counselors and the rest because one of the biggest worries i think for us as a nation as a people and and as a people who love children our own children other people's children mm. is that children are growing up with pornography as their main source of information about healthy relationships. And, of course, pornography is the last place in the world that uh, they should be finding that out. That puts them at risk, not only of being harmed, but of harming. It puts them at at risk of grooming, etc. So it is highly dangerous. Uh, The schools 
and the education system really need to address this quite fast. All right, and we'll give out uh, your phone number, the National 24-Hour Helpline, in a moment if uh, people are concerned about something that's happened to them, whether it's a rape or a sexual assault or somebody else for that matter. I'm sure you'll be more than happy to speak to them despite the volume of calls, nearly 13,000 calls in 2017 uh, and increasing all of the time. But I I imagine that the more people that come forward, the better, uh, and it's possible that it's because people are more willing to talk about it than uh, instead of it being a case of there being more cases of assault. But regardless of what the reason for the increase is, it's a huge amount of calls. On top of that, you have other services, face-to-face therapy services, you accompany people to court and so on. Uh, This increase in the number of people seeking help from the Dublin Rape Crisis Centre must put a, a huge strain on resources. Yeah, so we, we simply don't have uh, the resources we need to do everything. Like I often say, we have no lack of ambition. <laughs> we simply have a lack of resources in order to put this in place. In fairness, we recognise that in 2017, we got additional funding from Tusla, which was able to bring us back to seeing roughly the same number of people we were seeing before the recession. However, I, I can't emphasise enough to anybody who is prepared to listen that the problem is much, much bigger than we have been addressing. We need to take a much broader approach to it so that people can get help in a timely way if they need it and so that we can put the information and the policy and the analysis out there that will help people to put proper services in place and to put proper rules and procedures in place so that victims are not re-victimised by our systems after it's over and that we build a safer, healthier society. Okay, and to the 24-hour helpline then, 1-800-77-8888. That's 1-800-77-8888, the Dublin Crisis Centre 24-hour national helpline. Nolene, thank you indeed for joining us this thank morning. Thank you, Michael. Thank you. Nolene Blackwell is uh, the Chief Executive Officer of the Dublin Rape Crisis Centre. Michael Reed on LMFM. Now, as you've been hearing, uh, the Association of Catholic Priests is a concern uh, that some priests are being denied full traditional Catholic funerals after having been accused of child sexual abuse, although not convicted. Father Riggio Donovan, an Augustinian priest, has been telling me more. Well, again, here, Michael, we're in, a, if you like, an extremely difficult area. Now, this has come up, I believe, uh, the issue has been raised by the ACP, the Association of Catholic Priests, who by and large would be seen as a pretty reforming liberal group of people within the institutional church. Mm. But um, this uh, particular, when you're in the area of accusations and uh, sex abuse, it tends to be a highly emotive area for one thing, and a difficult one to speak about without treading on somebody's toes somewhere. It's a, you know, it's a, it's a moral and legal minefield. But what it does appear, and I'm going by the appearance of things, is this, that some dioceses, I don't know which ones, mm. and some religious orders have issued instructions that if one of their members has been convicted, or indeed even accused, not necessarily convicted of anything, that their funeral, if you like, is to be restricted uh, I understand something like that it shouldn't be public, it should be in a private chapel if possible, mm. it shouldn't be concelebrated, his name or title should not be used, he should only be, the person in question should only be referred to by their first name. So he wouldn't be called like father or reverend or anything like that? No. Uh, yeah, okay. And mm. you might say, and rightly so, 
but and I suppose we think we all think of the maybe the more extreme cases. Mm. And I suppose one that comes to mind is um, the Brendan Smith case, mm. which is something used as a yardstick for measurement almost, and which was ex- very very extreme. Mm. And most people would, I think, reasonable people would agree that uh, certainly there should be no gloating at a funeral like that. Mm. A couple of issues do, do arise, Michael. One is that, particularly if you're a, if you're a religious believer, if you are a believer, mm. uh, the thinking of most believers is that when a person has died, they're commended to the mercy of the Lord. Whatever whatever happens, then we do not know. But that's in other words, they're out of our hands now, to the mercy of the Lord, and who is to decide? You know, who is to judge, as Pope Francis once put it in another context. But I'll take another, I mentioned Smith there, which would be an extreme case, but take another case which listeners may be familiar with. You might remember some years ago the primetime special on Father Kevin Reynolds, mm. and it got national headlines. Yes. Now, had he didn't happen, unfortunately, but had he died at that time, had Father Reynolds died at the time of that program, he, under this, these guidelines, would not have been permitted any type of public funeral. In fact, it would have been a sneaky behind-the-scenes thing done quietly at night, privately, mm. under these stringent conditions. Then we learned a little while later that Father Reynolds was actually innocent. Mm. It was a, and, a false allegation that was broadcast and led, uh, apart from anything else, uh, to primetime investigates being taken off of the schedule. It was, yes. But had but my point is that had he died mm. before his innocence had been declared, he and his family, and I emphasise his family and friends, would have been the victim of this mis- monstrous injustice. So, And accusations are, are one thing. Convictions are a different thing. Yes. When you talk about and, Brendan uh, Smith, he was convicted and he, he was, was a notorious paedophile. Indeed, I know that you met one of his victims on a, a number of occasions in the studio. And it was, indeed, yes. it, it was Loretto who had the very reverend removed from his gravestone. Uh, and that meant an awful lot to her because uh, she didn't want the type of admiration that people would have for priests uh, to be given to Brendan Smith after death. But he was convicted. And what we're talking about here are people who were were not convicted. uh, And and their death notice is not even going to be put in the newspaper, according to the Association of Catholic Priests, uh, according to some diocesan guidelines, and that there would be no music in this chapel, which is where the funeral would be held instead of a church. Yes. And uh, now, I suppose... When you're making a regulation or a guideline, there can be a problem sometimes with one size fits all. You have the extreme cases. Then you have the case, say, for example, where some allegation has been made, but the law, the state, the Garda, the DPP says that there is no case to answer and it's not followed through. Now, the thing is, the church's regulation now is actually far more stringent, far more stringent. And that person is still out there facing that mm. uh, under the church conditions, facing that accusation and is out of ministry. And if he, or more rarely she, were to die, then under these guidelines, the situation you have described would mm. apply. 
And uh, and we do know that there are I, false allegations. I mean, you talk about oh, Father Reynolds, uh, and there's plenty more aside from Father Reynolds that have had allegations made against them falsely. Uh, Father Tim Hazelwood is a member of the Association of Catholic Priests, and he's been raising this as an issue, saying that he knows somebody who's facing an accusation which goes back 40 years, which he, he totally denies. Uh, he's an elderly priest at this stage, and he's terribly distressed because of this. Yes, and apparently the Garda and the DPP have said that that is a case they are not prosecuting. They feel there isn't a case to answer. But nevertheless, I feel like the accusation still stands, mm. and uh, he stands suspended. And uh, as an elderly man and who has given his life to the church, I, he and his family, I understand, are very, very distressed. So, again, we're coming down to this thing of the one-size-fits-all, because what I certainly wouldn't want any listener to get the impression of is that I'm downplaying the gravity of this situation. I am not. Um, but it would appear that maybe some diocesan religious orders in their reaction have probably gone beyond what most reasonable people would think would be necessary. Right, and there is a, a set of guidelines which has been published by the National Board for Safeguarding Children in the Catholic Church in Ireland. But as I understand it, some dioceses have gone beyond those guidelines. That this, and that is the point that the ACP are raising. The, the National Board, who are very stringent, and all, but also, if you like, they're very practical and... and uh, to, to use what you might use the phrase cop on, to take mm. each situation and see what the, way, the appropriate way we might react to it. Now, certainly the board have pretty stringent conditions, but this appears to have gone beyond what the board are looking for. And uh, it would appear that some dioceses and orders in reacting or want to be seen to, seen to do the right thing could be actually endangered that here and there they actually inflict an injustice themselves in trying to... In, 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 in trying to um, see justice done, they actually inflict an injustice. But hopefully it would be very few cases and a very, very small number of cases. But for the person concerned, one case is enough, the person concerned Mm. or the family concerned. And uh, then there's the other thing, and I don't know what your listeners might make of this. It only applies in this particular situation where there has been an allegation against a priest. Uh, When I do funerals, for example, Sometimes you'll come up against the funeral of the, oh, my God, it can be someone who is a, has been a murderer, has been a rapist, has been many, many things. A child abuser. And it, it, it doesn't apply in any other case. That is the, the point, one of the points, that these strict conditions, like I can do a Christian burial with the full panoply of everything for a person accused of anything else, no matter what you name it to be. And would you? And but only in this particular case. Mm. So therefore, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry, Iggy. I'm asking you: Would you give a, a murderer or a rapist or a child abuser a full Christian burial? Well, with the the, the, the last one you mentioned there now, the, the, the child mm. abuse, sexual abuse. If uh, my order, for example, I don't don't I, we don't have it at the moment. But if th- that condition that we were speaking about applied, then in that case. I wouldn't be able to. But in the other cases you mentioned, the murderer or the whatever, you would. There'd be no problem at all. Mm-hmm. So uh, and, uh, I, 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 know, that is the way it is. If some people may think that sound, that that's a pretty appalling vista, to use an old quotation. Mm. But that's the, that, that, is, that is the way it is. Now, of course, because of the horrors of some of what went on in the past, mm. because of the horrors, sometimes in the reaction, you know, it, it, Injustices may occur, 
and sometimes understandable because of the mishandling of things in the past. And uh, so we're now in the situation is that because of all the mishandling that we had, even the most outlandish, if you like, allegation carries credence. Mm. At a a time when uh, somebody is going to meet their maker, uh, when this is important to people, that's the belief, uh, and there will be the ultimate judgment, I take it. Yes, and... uh, but for the, if you like, the priest on the ground who is responsible for the funeral, it's, it's, it's a very difficult pastoral situation because you try to please everybody and you try to do the best you can. You have mentioned other cases there which are other than sexual abuse, pretty horrendous cases where there's no problem at all. No matter, what, no matter how grave the crime, you're not, you're not you're said, look, it's finished now, commend him to the mercy of the Lord, leave it at that. But in this particular case, where there is an allegation, even if the Garda authorities say there's no basis to it, but it's still on the, if you like, it's still on the church statute book. <laughs> you, you, mm. That applies. And uh, certainly um, it's uh, something that does need looking at. And uh, I suppose the Father Kevin Reynolds case is probably the best known case. I mentioned that one mm-hmm. because many of your listeners will have remembered it from TV. Mm-hmm. But as I said again, had he died at that time, under these conditions, I could not have done a public funeral for him. It would have been one of the private thing done at night, if you like, quietly and uh, for a few very low profile. And then to discover that the man was innocent. My God, you know, who, what type of justice would that have been? All right. Well, we'll leave it there for the moment. And thank you indeed for talking to us as always. And always good to talk to you for that matter, Father Iggy O'Donovan. Thank you, Michael. Thank you. Michael Reed on LMFM. Hospital managers around the country have been asked to, to set out uh, their plan for new parking charges that will apply next year. They should be reduced to charges for a lot of patients and visitors to hospitals because they'll be capped at a maximum of €10 Euro per day. This follows a review that was ordered by the Minister for Health, Simon Harris, and comes on foot of a campaign from the Irish Council Society for a reduction, if not the abolishment of parking charges in particular for cancer patients. Avril Powers, uh, the Chief Executive Officer of uh, the Irish Cancer Society and good morning to you and thanks uh, for joining us. Uh, I suppose this is progress, is it not? It certainly is, Michael. As you mentioned, this is something we've been campaigning on for some time. Coping with the physical and emotional impact of cancer is bad enough, but the financial toll can also be immense, particularly when extra charges like this hit at a time when patients and families are already experiencing a big drop in income from being out sick. Um, some, there's wide variation in practice. Some hospitals don't charge cancer patients at all. Um, that would be the case, for example, in, in Conley Hospital, which mm. some of your listeners would, would uh, use. And others charge three euro an hour um, with patients really quite quickly racking up very high costs, particularly for cancer patients who have to go to the hospital a lot for chemotherapy, for those who have to stay in hospital for long periods and have loved ones visiting with them. Um, So this burden of parking charges I know is an issue for everybody who has to visit a hospital, but for those who are involved in long stays and for cancer patients, it's particularly unfair. Um, And that's why we've been campaigning on this issue and we welcome the fact that some light appears to be now appearing on this. And for people who are attending the hospital regularly, obviously there's more to be paid in charges and this review is suggesting that there be a number of ways 
of pain depending on how frequently you attend the hospital. So if you're going twice a week, perhaps uh, there'd be a special discounted rate for you that you would never pay more than €10 for one day. But if you're going twice a week, that perhaps it would be €10 for the two days. Absolutely. So um, they're talking about a general cap on all parking charges of €10 a day. Um, So no matter what reason you're visiting the hospital, that it would be €10 a day. But crucially, from the perspective of cancer patients and others who frequently visit the hospital, the multi-entry passes are the ones that would really make a difference. Um, And the examples that are given in the report are a two-day consecutive pass for €10, five-day consecutive pass for 20 and 15 days for 35 They're also talking about passes for extended periods of time, such as 10 entries within three months. Um, So that that would make a big difference to cancer patients. We've had examples, Michael, of families that have paid up to €1,200 in parking charges, um, cancer patients and their families. And that's just incredibly cruel when, as I said, it's a time when people's income is already under pressure. So... We're calling for these recommendations to be implemented as soon as possible. And uh, I'm sure you speak to people as well who are attending clinics and uh, the like, Uh, but it runs over time, runs behind time, and their parking runs out, uh, but they're afraid of missing their appointment by going out to top up the parking. Uh, And this is something that is addressed by this review as well. It does, yeah. It talks about being able to top up by app and by phone, something we've had in, in lots of areas in street parking for years. Much more stressful than having to run out and, and feed the machine, um, particularly if, if you're in hospital. Just kind of practical things like that, just to make mm. the whole system more efficient. And it, it might make uh, situations like uh, the one in Drogheda more acceptable to people. I'm not sure if you're uh, familiar with uh, the situation, but you have the car park uh, at the hospital itself, which is considered to be an emergency car park, and you can pay up to €40 Euro a day there. Yeah. Uh, and then you have another car park, uh, which uh, is some distance away, five, ten minute walk away, depending on how quickly you walk, obviously, uh, and that will be €20 Euro a day. So if you've got your car parked over there and you can top it up from a, a distance, perhaps that will help. Yes, although the report does also talk about reserving places closer to the door for patients who need it um, and aren't able to make those distances, not just those with physical disabilities, but those Mm. who, because of their treatment, aren't able to to walk that far as well. And what about the staff then? Will they be able to park uh, near work? uh, Um, Well, I suppose that's a a separate issue. Um, Mm. You know, I think our priority is obviously to make sure that, that patients can get parking for when they're visiting the hospital. Do appreciate that some hospitals are located in areas where it's very difficult for the staff to get there mm. without driving, and that do- certainly does need to be something that's taken into the mix. But I think the priority is to ensure that those travelling for treatments like chemo um, who need to be able to travel by car can do so. Um, I suppose I just also might just like to take the opportunity to remind your listeners as well that the Irish Cancer Society offers a volunteer driver service. Mm. So we have a service that provides free transport to cancer patients to and from their hospital chemotherapy appointments. Um, So that can also help people to manage charges. Um, It offers a a lifeline, really, to Mm. patients who don't have access to transport, people that live long distances, aren't on public transport, and can't afford the the cost of of fuel and parking fees. So if any of your listeners would like to learn more about that service, they can call our volunteer driver team 
on 01-2310-522. The 01-2310-522. And we can pass that number on to people if they didn't manage to write it down there this morning. I suppose the reason I was talking about staff was that if parking charges at hospitals are brought down to a level where it's cheaper to park at the hospital than perhaps it is somewhere else, uh, then there may be no parking available in the hospital. Uh, and if, let's say, a consultant is called in in an emergency situation, there may be nowhere to park for them. That's one issue that may uh, arise from this reduction. And then there's also the loss of revenue, which is, I think, to a large degree used on providing services. Is that of concern at all? Yeah, well, I mean, I think in, in terms of what you're, the example you're giving there, say, mm. the consultant or staff not being able to have space, that I, that is definitely something that can be managed in proper allocation of the spaces. Um, some hospitals will be concerned that they're in areas, you know, that they're um, close to city centres or areas where people might not visiting the hospital at all um, might abuse free parking. But again, that can be dealt with by having validated tickets like it's done in lots of hotels and indeed some, some supermarkets. So there are, there are ways around that. In terms of the revenue, the report is not recommending ab- uh, abolition of all charges that would cost 22, over 22 million. Um, it's recommending instead that you have that daily cap of, of 10 euros. So you'll still have people paying up to 10 euros if they're not long stay visitors or frequent, or frequent users of the hospital and, and, and the multi passes. <clears throat> so 4.75 million euros will be the cost of making these changes. I think it's the least that can be done in terms of the incredible financial burden that they put on vulnerable patients and their families. And I think it's up to the minister to make sure that funding is made available to the hospitals to cover the cost because we do know that hospitals, because they're not being properly funded for other areas, are using these costs to make other, up for other shortfalls. But that's no way to run a hospital and it's incredibly unfair to patients. OK, well, I'm sure there's many patients who've been paying these charges who will welcome this change when it comes about next year. But we leave it there for the moment and thank you indeed for joining us this morning. Avril Power is Chief Executive Officer of the Irish Cancer Society. Michael Reed on LMFM. Now let's find out what you've been saying to us. Maggie McGuire joins us with some of the calls and text messages that have been coming to us this morning. Good morning to you, Maggie. How are you doing? Have you become accustomed to the wind and rain yet? You were yeah, giving out well, about I, it yesterday. I, I've lost me hat. You've lost your hat? <laughs> I've lost me hat, yeah. Oh, we have a whip around you. I lost, me, I lost me rag yesterday <laughs> and my hat today, but there you go. <laughs> Just a normal Monday then. <laughs> Just a normal Monday is right. What's going on on the phones this morning? Maggie? Well, we had huge reaction to the interview we did um, on the programme yesterday with John Wilson, there was an awful lot of calls mm. and comments into the show after he finished up with us. Former Garda and Garda whistleblower Absolutely. who was talking to us about crime and some of the problems in the system. Mm. This is it, mm. and there was a huge reaction to what he said. Um, to be honest, which I've kind of lost count of the amount of texts and stuff he had in calling um, for him to stand for election and people oh. supporting him. <laughs> well, yeah. I think uh, that might uh, be a possibility. Might be all a right, possibility, yeah. all right, yeah. Mm. And, and on that vein, Jack wanted to know if John would consider standing for office. He said it's great to hear someone talking common sense at last. He says he's a great man with brilliant suggestions, but unfortunately the powers that be won't listen to them. And um, Tom, in a similar vein, rang to congratulate John on the interview. He said it's, it's, it's a breath of fresh air to hear such common sense. We need people like him running the country and we might see action, see action being taken on the gangs he was talking about if, if people like him were in power. Um, Jackie, again, on mm. a similar vein, called on him to stand in the election. She said he's the only person um, 
she, or he's the only person she's heard talking since on the crime issue and was in total agreement with him as well, particularly when it comes to our treatment of young offenders. Yeah. These kids, and she used mm. the word kids in inverted commas, are, are causing havoc around the country and getting away with basically what's essentially a, a slap on the wrist, leaving them free to go and reoffend and terrorise mm. even more people. And she believes we need to be putting deterrence in place and stop making um, prison a holiday camp, as she described it, for these right, criminals. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. But how, how, how did it ever get so bad? I mean, how are young people acting that way at such a, a young age and maybe we should be looking at uh, their lives before they get to that age and before they start acting in that way I don't know but uh, I'd have to think that to some degree they're, they're victims themselves Well this is it but I mean a lot of people as I said in agreement yeah. with what John said and feel that we do need tougher deterrence you know um, Fran was in contact saying that he hit the nail on the head and what was said on the show yesterday the rule of law is broken down in this country and that that's the root of all our, our current problems that if there's no rule of law in a country well then you know, we're rudderless mm. essentially and, and what's going to happen is going to happen and we have to take them back, mm. take back control of the situation. Um, Anne was in, in contact as well on the same issue and she thinks the prisons are not half as tough as they used to be. They don't hold the same level of fear for inmates as they did years ago. Um, life in prison now is a lot better than it is at home for some of the inmates. Mm. You know, she's saying she, there's computers and phones and, and, you know, access to drugs basically as well. So she says it's no wonder that people reoffend. She believes it should be compulsory for all prisoners to to learn a skill and to undergo counselling and she believes that any um, foreign nationals who commit a second offence while in this country should be deported immediately back okay, to their own country. Yeah. All right, uh, one of uh, the points uh, that, that John, John Wilson would talk about, uh, yeah. that people with uh, criminal records are coming to this country. This is it. And again, May was in agreement with John and what he said. She said the government need to cop on and start listening to people again, people who've worked at the coalface and, and mm. witnessed firsthand, you know, the devastation that, that these crimes um, or that these criminals commit. And she said the justice system in this country is in a mess and needs a total overhaul. All right. Uh, did anybody disagree with John Wilson that you've been speaking to at least? No, no. they okay, didn't. Right. Yeah, so that's what I'm saying. Yeah, there was a yeah. lot of agreement. I don't know whether mm. he just hit a nerve of people or whatever way you want to yeah. put it, but he mm. just seems to have tapped into something that... A lot of our listeners were feeling yesterday. So longer prison sentences, uh, a tougher time in prison and that sort of thing. Uh, basically, yeah. Basically, the words holiday yeah. camp came mm. up quite a bit in terms really, really, of, in yeah, terms yeah, of um, yeah. how people view prisons mm. at the minute. Really? Yeah. Gosh, yeah. <laughs> Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact? You can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. 
don't know if I'd agree with that, but... No, not not, not quite the word I'd use. No, uh, no. uh, Interesting to hear those calls, as always, uh, and thanks to everybody who has been in touch with us about that. uh, And I know you have some other calls there, Maggie, but uh, let's uh, hear about some of the problems on the N2. As we've been hearing in the bulletins uh, this morning, this is to be uh, the subject of a public meeting which is taking place in the snail box uh, tonight. Independent Councillor Joe Bonner is on the line, and uh, I suppose at this stage, Kilmoon Cross is pretty notorious, and uh, the traffic around the area, probably the bad weather this morning, God knows what happened, uh, but a a multi-vehicle crash, uh, and given uh, the bad weather and the levels of traffic, uh, I suppose uh, that's uh, the sort of of, uh, thing that uh, is almost inevitable at this stage. Hello, 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 Michael. Yeah, uh, good morning to you. Uh, Yeah, that's absolutely right. Yeah, there was a multi-vehicle crash there this morning, and uh, hopefully nobody was uh, seriously injured. Um, but uh, I suppose this is... Huge um, build-up of traffic as a result, though, and people were being uh, advised to avoid the area if possible. But for most people who travel that route, it's not possible uh, because otherwise they wouldn't go that way because of uh, the levels of traffic. Yeah, that's correct. Like, all, all the side roads and the the the, uh, the arteries leading on to the end to around Corahan, around Screen and uh, Rathfai and Cushionstown, like yeah. all those lo- roads are being used as rat runs and they're, and they're also blocked and clogged and dangerous in the morning and people can't walk the roads, they can't cycle, they can't bring their kids to school. And uh, a lot of cases, people are prisoners in their houses in, the, in, the, in, in, in those side roads where they can't get out of their houses. And actually, we have a case where a lady uh, contacted me before the last meeting and said that she's got adult, uh, teenage children attending school and herself and her husband have to take turns at leaving work early to collect them from the bus to bring them uh, half a kilometre up the road to their house. Mm. And, and there, is no, there is no end in sight, is there? No, there isn't any end in sight. But just getting back, mm. getting back to, the, to the end two, there's two issues here. One is the end, the, the end two is loaded at capacity. And it's actually adding the journey time, adding an extra hour onto the journey time of people going to work uh, daily. And mm. uh, it needs urgent modification um, and we were told by several local authorities that it would take up to eight years to get uh, this project advanced, and like we can't, we haven't got eight, eight, eight years to, to wait. Uh, so, as a result of that, I, I organised me by this holding the public information meeting tonight in the snail box, and this is a follow-on from the one I held on the 30th of August. On the 30th of August, we had a massive crowd there. And uh, I contacted the minister the following day, and he agreed to meet us within a week. And um, I got together uh, a selection from the community, and I took the opinion that we take everybody, all 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 the strands from the community, mm. the business, the, the community people. I also brought in senior people from East County Council. I brought in all the electors, you know, the elected, elected TD and the two ministers. I invited them to come, and um, we. Um, we had a very constructive meeting. So we had all the people that were involved around the table instead of one, them and the other. So the minister at that meeting, he said that he would move the end to up the agenda and, it, and uh, that he has done. And uh, at the at the moment, uh, this the upgrade of the M2 has moved on to pro, moved from the onto project stage, and um, that an allocation of two million has been made for the for the further design uh, to advance the, the uh, upgrade of that road. But mm. ugh, there's a huge urgency there. Like it's great, that, that is great what, what then? 
Yeah, we're hot then, that's right. Yeah. We need, we like, as you see this morning, like uh, an incident on the road and the whole place is blocked up for the day. Some mm. of those people now had to turn back and go home. Uh, they weren't able to go to work. They weren't able to bring their kids to, to childminders. They're, and they're, they're living on the edge all the time. So, um, like, we, we, need, we need this work carried out. And we need our, our representatives. We're doing the job for us. We need to get this on the, on the table and get it advanced, moving on. This is a major archery into Dublin. And to, and to think that mm. we have to suffer this sort of, of, of delay and congestion and afraid to travel the roads at this stage is really, is really um, like it's not going to get any better and we need to do something about it. Well, you'd need the minister be, to be committing to a lot more than two million, I take it. Yeah, well, you all, uh, absolutely. Like, but it's a, it's a start to, to uh, get it on to the design stage. Mm. Like it has gone from... Now, now it's a project, so now it's going to happen. So we need to make it happen urgently. We need to, we, we need to let the powers that be know that that this is urgent, um, and that. Uh, but it, it's not covered by the government's twenty forty plan, is it? Oh well, it is. Oh yeah, it is. Okay. And uh, well, as far, as far as I know, yeah, all this also goes into into the Slain bypass, and um, uh, you know, so we we. Um, like it's very, very urgent that this happens, and it needs, because this is like this. This is, as, as you know, the main artery into Dublin, and um, we just we have to get people to work, and we have to be able to get the people home from work. Um, the fact that uh, Councillor Riley has said this several times, Councillor Tommy Riley, that that um, you know the congestion in the N2 has having a major impact on on the social fabric. About like, you know, the, the, there's no, can't get the teams together. They can't get people to train the teams. The participation of young people in, in, in their communities has been significantly reduced because of the extra travel time going to work. Uh, on another consequence of, of what's happened in the end to in Curaha and and those little villages along there, like there's daily occurrences of accidents, near misses, serious accidents, and. Uh, we, we, the minister has asked that Mees County Council come forward with a plan to show an upgrade on, especially when the Curaha Junction, to uh, come forward with plans for to improve the safety along those rat runs, and uh, we're waiting on that to happen. So he said once he's got a plan on his table, uh, then he he he'll advance the project, uh, or he what he said was I treated was the urgency that it deserves. Okay. So we're waiting, on, we're waiting on the local authority. Another thing that's, that, that's very, become very apparent to me in recent times is that in the local authority, the local authority have so much work on now with the boom and new roads and all this, but they don't really have the staff. So we need uh, extra staff in the local authorities to dedicate them to the projects like the N2 project or, or, or the Slane Bypass. And we just can't be hitting it like spending two days before uh, um, an area meeting to come up to speed with what, what the, the councillors need to know. Like we need people on these projects all the time, so we, we need a serious look at the resources we have in, in the local authorities. Okay, well, I, I suppose now is the time for people to say how they would like this to be constructed before it goes uh, to planning or, yeah, and design, but uh, we'll leave it there for the moment. People yeah, can I, meet I, with you at 8 o'clock tonight, Joe. Just me, Michael. I, 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 was, I think that people really should come out this evening and, and they'll be measured by the support there is and to let the authorities know that this, this is serious 
and so uh, people can come out tonight and go to the meeting and show their support and okay. thank you very much for All right, thank for you, you indeed so that's at 8 o'clock this evening uh, Independent Councillor Joe Bonner there now let's go back uh, to some more of your calls uh, and what else have people been saying to you Maggie? Um, John was in touch with us this morning um, about a story he was reading in the papers recently he said you know he's read that the Taoiseach and other government ministers spend a small fortune each month on spin doctors and um, he wants to know why do our government ministers need to use these people is it because they don't trust themselves not to say something they don't or trip themselves up when they're speaking in public. Mm. He's saying that either way it's a scandalous waste of taxpayers' money. Um, and then I'll finish up on this one, Michael, because I'm aware that timing is against us, but um, Marie was in contact with us this morning and following on from the interview at the start of the show with um, Nolene. And um, she just said she found it really upsetting listening to Nolene's interview. You know, she, mm-hmm. she fully... That's Nolene Blackwell at the Dublin Red Crisis Centre. Absolutely, yes, yeah. yeah. And she was obviously mm-hmm. talking, you know, about the launch of the report and the increase in costs mm-hmm. of getting to the service. And she said, you know, she would fully agree with Nolene when she says that um, victims of, of these horrible crimes are not being heard by our, our legal system. She said that from what she can see, the onus in, within our current system, the onus is on the victim to prove that they did nothing to provoke the attack rather than it is on the perpetrator to prove that they didn't commit it. Mm. And she said this is messed up beyond belief really. She said it's no wonder that victims are slow to come forward. Why would anybody put themselves through that ordeal? Okay and I suppose therein lies the you dilemma should. because uh, you are innocent and uh, I think a lot of people would say you should be innocent mm. until proven guilty but uh, that's the dilemma as I say this is it alright Maggie thanks for that thanks to everybody who has been in touch if you'd like to add to what's been said as always we'd love to hear from you our telephone number is 1850 Michael, Michael Reed on, on LMFM you might have heard uh, the results of an AA Ireland survey of 3,000 of its insurance customers it's found that 1 in 10 of those who responded are going to go across the border to do some shopping for Christmas. Uh, let's talk about this with Paddy Malone, PRO for Dundalk Chamber of Commerce. Good morning, Paddy, and uh, thanks for joining morning, us. Michael. Are you surprised at the findings? Not in the slightest. Really? No, yeah, last year it was 9.45, so mm. it's, been, it's less than a full 1%. So, you know, at 1 in 10, no big deal. We have the same coming the other way, so it's not as big a deal as it would look. Um... There are some things in the north that are cheaper. There are mm. some things in the south that are cheaper. But when you talk about 3,000 customers, and uh, these aren't particularly scientific studies, but they are relatively trustworthy in that uh, people participate in them on an ongoing basis uh, and so on and really have nothing to lose by saying uh, what it is they think. Uh, but uh, if you talk about 1 in 10 nationwide from Kerry and Cork and Waterford and Wexford uh, how many are going over the border from Dundalk? Probably a slightly higher number I'd say so Yeah, But, but, but Michael this is, we, we've had a good season so far we are always going to have businesses going into the north to buy certain products and vice versa Okay, at the moment for example believe it or not because of the disaster that happened to uh, Primark they're actually bussing people from Belfast down to the dock at right. the moment. Yeah. Um, and and, and it's an awful... Sh- I hope the hell that building is restored because it's a beautiful building. Mm. Uh, it really is. Um, there are always going to be people travelling across the border in both directions to maximise the benefits of being in a border county, which doesn't have a huge amount of advantages in the first place. Well, I suppose and you and I have banged yeah. on mm. about yeah. a free border and mm. no, uh, uh, no uh, restrictions. So therefore... You, 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 you have to win in some ways and lose in others. But in, the, in relation to products, I've talked to Electrical and I've talked to others mm. and they've said 
if you do your sums right and you match the pricing by correctly by matching model with model and other things, we are as competitive in the south as we are in the north. Unfortunately, people read the, the, the don't read the small print when they come to looking at different products and therefore get hoodwinked to a certain extent. Now, I'm not saying mm-hmm. that there aren't bargains to be made in the north or the uh, in the north. There probably are in some cases, but not as universal as people believe it to be. Um, and the eating, the, 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 the proof of that is the fact that we do get, and when you go down through the Marshall Shopping Centre or Clonbrassel Street, I remember three, four years ago talking to you about the same thing and saying to you that a northern registration car was like hen's teeth. You didn't see them. You do see them here because there are benefits in both directions. And what, what are they coming here for? They're coming here for petrol. They're coming here for food. Uh, sorry, not for, for fuel, for, for diesel, for petrol. Um and for clothing to a certain extent as well, which surprised mm. me, but that's the way it is. Well, it would uh, seem surprising because that's one of the reasons, uh, I know to that survey, that they're But if you read the through the survey report, mm-hmm. it mainly boiled down to alcohol. Mm. And that's the one that keeps cropping up. That uh, There was a different report done earlier this month, and it said that 75% of people who do travel across the border travel across the border because of alcohol. Mm. And in relation to that... Um, you know, please God, at some stage, uh, minimum unit pricing will come in both in the north and the south. We can't move without the, the north doing it, so therefore there's no point in talking about it until it happens. Right. But what I would say in relation to that particular issue is that a can of Carlsberg or any other beer or any other um, anything else, a can in the north is not the same size as a can in the south. It's smaller, and the alcohol content mm-hmm. of no matter what brew you're talking about is less. So that when you're comparing it, you're not comparing apples and apples. And, and that's a message that needs to be got across. We, if you drink a pint in the south, you're drinking a European, a European measurement, which tends to be 500 mils, and the lager or the beer is stronger than it is in the equivalent in the north. Those are, that's because we are a European country. Britain is still tied to empirical measurements and miles and pounds and, and shillings, whereas we've moved on to European. Unfortunately, if you do a lazy comparison, you can be hoodwinked, and that's the point. All right, a, a lot of people uh, going north for clothes, uh, nearly 60%, uh, 37.5% going for perfume or makeup, clothes, alcohol, no, and food. No, they're not going north for that. You need to read that particular thing right. The perfume and the rest of it, they're going outside the jurisdiction. They're flying from Dublin Airport mm. out. They're buying stuff on the duty-free on the way out. They're the, not the, buying the, stuff these are the New bags. York shoppers, are they? There, there could be New York shoppers, or there could be Lisbon shoppers, mm. or there could be Paris or London. Yeah. But they're not cross-border. I mean, and, and, and you've got to make a distinction between the cross-border shopper in the dock, and I don't begrudge anybody. I mm. mean, somebody, my, my brother, whom I think you know, had a go at me recently saying I was telling people not to shop in the north. I would prefer if people shopped in the south and prefer mm. if people shopped locally. Mm. And I, for that reason, I would prefer if they shopped in the dock rather than in Drawder. But I am not going to make a distinction between Trotter and Uri. Okay, but I, I suppose it, it shows the level of competition that there is. And, Absolutely. Uh, uh, and I, I thought the figure of people going abroad, generally speaking, uh, whether it's New York or Lisbon or, or Belfast, uh, is staggering. 35.69% of people say that they leave the state in the weeks in the run-up to Christmas. I found that incredible. And I sincerely hope that particularly when we're talking about outside EU, that the customs are doing the right job. And, you know, that's something that I think customs needs to wake up to. I mean, you go past filling stations or even uh, other places where they have these partial posts. And even on post, encouraging people to buy stuff 
from outside the, juris- outside the European ju- jurisdiction. I sincerely hope that VAT is being properly accounted for on all of that product, because I know it's not. No, of course not. And it should be. And mm. the fact that you have a state agency aiding and abetting tax evasion is something that I would have a serious question mark over. That's very strongly put, isn't it? I feel very strongly about it. Mm. If it challenges businesses in the dock, and we go back to what's important, and what's important to me is that the livelihoods of people in the dock are protected, whether they be employees or employers. It is important that they're protected. And we in the Chamber will do everything in our power to help. And we will emphasize that when you price up something that you're going to go across the border to chop, please take account all of the pricing considerations. Yeah. Time, travel, uh, fuel that you're going to consume that you will buy in the south because it's mm-hmm. a lot dearer in the north. Um, and then take, into, take, all of, take all of the considerations into, into account, please. Mm. The other thing we would say is, you know, just remember that if your daughter or son yeah. has a couple of hours working in the local shop, that's because the sh- local shop is thriving and because it's able to do that. Yeah, but what, what are you suggesting? Uh, is it that uh, if someone goes over to New York and buys one of uh, these very, very expensive designer handbags or something like that, that they're stopped on their way back into Dublin? Yep. But sure, what would you say to them? Prove that it's not new. Mm. God. You'd want a a lot of time on your hands down first, wouldn't you? I mean, apart from anything else, you can't get a lot of of these things At Christmas time, Mm. if you have a flight coming in from New York, the business, those that are travelling for businesses, you can identify fairly quickly. They're they're seasoned travellers and they're up and down there all the time. The the, the person who comes out and they're carrying uh, five bags from Bloomingdale's and God knows Mm. what else and Mm. Macy's, you can pick them out very easily. Mm. So customs duties, customs guys know what they're doing. And all I'm saying is, it's not done as much as it should be. Mm. Okay, and it's a matter. It's a matter of on record of getting this this point across. Retailers in Europe or anywhere else can only survive if there's a level playing field. Now, what the chamber can do in relation to some of that is to help as much as possible in emphasising the cost, the long-term right. cost of people what, what, shopping overseas. Uh, what kind of a, a percentage increase would you put onto people shopping if they were stopped like that and uh, charged uh, VAT and so on? Well, th- th- listen, I, I, look, the VAT rates and the customs duties rates will vary depending on what product has been bought, whether it's perfume, whether mm. it's bags, whatever. And I am not an expert in customs and excise. I'm an expert in ta- most taxes, but customs and excise, no, never. I, I, I'm not an expert in those. So, whatever the European rates are, they should be applied. You, dri- you, you drive a lot of people mad. There's a lot of people who do that. And as a, a treat to themselves, and they only do it because it's a treat to themselves. Yeah, and it's at a loss mm. of jobs in Dundalk or in a loss of jobs in mm. Dublin and in the city centre. Uh, and just uh, on the drink... Uh, would you be concerned at all that they will introduce minimum pricing in this state before it happens in the north? No, I think there's a the commitment stuff? from the government and a realization that they can't. Mm. Uh, and I think so. It may never happen. It may never happen. You know, and all we can do is hope that people act and, and treat alcohol responsibly, and that the message has got through, and that the RSA and everybody else that advertises about don't drink and drive and don't do other things, and you know, don't, don't mm. remember what alcohol. You know, to use it in moderate amounts and all the rest of it. And you get that message across as much as you possibly can. Um, pricing is never going to solve that problem of, 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 of alcohol abuse anyway, but it would help if there was a level playing field north and south, and that's all I'm saying. Um, and what we would say to people is, 
if you can afford it, if you can afford to shop in Dundalk, remember the full costs. And we would ask employers, and we have been asking, and we've been very successful so far this season, it's up on last year, to, to take the shop local vouchers. It's, it's very noticeable that people, um, all our members and, and, and even non-members who are coming in and saying to us, can we buy some shop local vouchers off you? We would keep a record of who we sold them to last year so that we can control the numbers and we know exactly how much money is out there. And there's a lot more out there this year than there was last year. Well, and, and that's, a, that's a, a good win for the town. Well, as you say, that's uh, how you keep your family and your neighbours and so on in a job. And uh, that will continue to be the case if you continue to shop local. Uh, just while you're here with us, uh, trying to keep it a, a Brexit-free zone, but can't, <laughs> can't, can't resist I, asking I, I, you. I, I, I can hardly ever get away from that yeah. topic. Well, I remember the first day I asked what was Brexit. <laughs> <laughs> well, you have a long memory because we've been talking about it for a long time. A long, long time. Yep. Are, you, are you bracing yourself for the worst or, or how do you feel about things at the moment? One, one side of me says they, they can't be that stupid to, to be like lemmings and jump off the cliff. Um, and the other half of me is saying there's enough ideologues who don't care what damage they do to the British economy as long as they can go back to the 19th century and the British Empire. And that's what worries me. You have ideologues who have got inflated or uh, inherited wealth um people who don't understand the real world don't understand what's going on in the real situation and i i really feel sorry for people particularly in the northeast of england that are relying on the nissan car plant and other places like that they must be very very worried as to what really is coming down the track and you know it's just the fact that they were been so manipulated and promised things in the past that I would be worried. Um, yeah, I, I think Theresa May, I'm beginning to have a bit more respect for her from the point of view that I think this is the game that she decided to play two and a half. Once that she lost the general election, that was a disastrous mistake. But once she's lost it, I think she recognised that, that if she took on the Brexiteers head on straight away, she'd lose or she wouldn't be able to finish the job. She'd be too mortally wounded. Whereas this way, right up to the end, and then forced them to think... Um, she might just be able to put it off. Um, what I would sincerely hope would be that the DUP would listen to, to um, the, the, the industry and the farming community within Northern Ireland. It's loud and clear. That's what they want is the Brexit deal. The constitutional position of Northern Ireland is long, long ago established. I mean, I campaigned for removal of Articles 2 and 3 here in the South. Um, that position is long gone. We want a united Ireland, but only through peaceful means. So, you know, Northern Ireland's been offered a unique situation of having the cake and eat it. Um, so please, God, they, but the problem is I'm not too sure whether that 10 votes is going to be enough. Um, yeah, you have 90 Tories to... You have 90 to Tories that are going yeah. the other way. Yeah. And, you know, and this talk about even Sinn Féin taking up mm. the seats... It doesn't recognise the mathematical reality of the situation. That, that's a red herring. Um, and we should forget about telling Sinn Féin what to do. That, that, move on from that, uh, please. It's not helping. Um, what we've got to do is, as much as we can from outside, and we know ourselves, we don't like anybody telling us what to do. Um, all we can do is hope that enough people in, North, in, in Britain realise what's coming down the track if they go there, there, that route. Um, a no-deal Brexit is not going to be of any benefit to anybody living along the border. 
we are not, it is going to be a very uncomfortable place for us to be. All we can do is, and I know, uh, and I'm wearing my accountant's hat now at this stage, yeah. we, working with Leo uh, here in the Dock and Thomas McAvoy and working with Intertrade in Aidan Goff in Newry, um, we accountants have been going out to businesses and trying to get them Brexit ready. Uh, there are enough grants and facilities available to allow businesses, whether it's a one-man operation or a hundred, or somebody employing a hundred people, there is supports, there, and and they're for free. The government have been doing a very good job on getting people ready for Brexit. But am I worried about it? Yeah, bloody sure I am. Uh, and we need to plan for the worst, hoping that it doesn't happen. But yeah. you look at the numbers, Michael; they they do not stack up. No, they don't. But at the same time, uh, there may be extensions, and we might be having the same conversation this time next year. Um, I was at a seminar recently, and a partner from one of the big law firms said to me, said at the seminar that his grandson had come and asked him for advice <laughs> as yeah. he was qualifying as a solicitor what to specialise in in his last year in college. Yeah. And the guy said to him, Brexit, it's 40 years of business for you. Yeah, yeah. That is a scary thought. Yeah, it is a scary thought. Listen, we leave it there, Paddy, for the moment, and thank you indeed for joining thank us you. as always. Paddy Malone is Dundalk Chamber of Commerce's PRO. Michael, Michael Reed, Reed on, on LMFM. LMFM. The IFA in Loud is highlighting uh, the number of dag- dog attacks on sheep which have resulted in sheep being injured and killed on some occasion. Matthew McGreehan, uh, Rural Development Chairman for the IFA, joins us now. Good morning to you, Matthew, and thanks uh, for joining us. Well, what's causing this locally? Uh, is it uh, that people aren't dock- locking their dogs up a- a- at night or is it walkers letting their dogs off the lead as we here in other areas? Michael, it's, it's, it's dog owners not being responsible and I suppose I, I just uh, there was two dog attacks in Loud last week. Uh, one farmer in Belogan had two sheep killed and one farmer, Brendan High in Dermiskin had another two sheep killed and the rest was flock devastated. Mm. And why I am on the radio here this morning, Michael, is to ask dog owners to be responsible for the dogs. It's devastating for a farmer to go out and find a sheep mauled to death or badly injured. Is it certain you know. types of dogs or who exactly are you speaking to? Yeah, it's, it's all type of dogs, Michael, and it's all type of dog owners. It's, you know, and that's farmers, dogs, everybody's, you know what I mean? There's no mm. one exempt, you know. And i just like to say, like, a farmer is not only at the loss of the sheep that is killed at the time of the attack. There's also the rest of the flock. When they get a severe terrorising by dogs, and that's what they get, a terrorising by dogs, they can suffer greatly through stress. And, and this can affect the whole value and worth of the whole flock. And yews can abort their lambs if they're in lamb, if they're yews, and yews can fail to go in lamb. And, and like the farmers are, are in their rights to legally shoot a dog if they are killing a sheep mm. or attacking a sheep or coming from attack and attack, or if a farmer believes they're going to attack. But farmers, believe me, do not want to be going around shooting dogs. You know, to be, we have other things to do and we don't, don't want to be shooting dogs, you know. It's all dogs, you say. Uh, and even the cutest, cuddliest of dogs uh, can uh, display this type of uh, behaviour. It's instinctive to them, especially if there's other dogs around they pack. That's right. That's right, Michael. And, and you might remember, the, uh, if you're old enough to remember the... Uh, the ad that used to be on the television way back on, I think it was the late 70s, early 80s, about, you know, uh, Fido wants to go out, darling, you know, and, mm. and, and, and Fido goes out and, 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 and meets up with other dogs and attacks sheep, and then uh, uh, an hour later to bring Fido in and says, where were you, Fido, you know, and, and, and running free, your dog can be a killer. So I think it's time for maybe that ad to come back in, you know, and I would ask for 
politicians maybe to impress upon the Minister uh, for Agriculture to bring that ad back in and maybe it, it might do some good, you know. Why? Do you think people don't realise that their dogs are such a danger? People mightn't realise, Michael, yeah. mightn't realise mm. that their cuddly pet can, could, can do such harm. Yeah, and they think you're talking about that. Just, some dog owners just mm. don't care. They just don't care and they don't have... You know, why should we have sheep, you know? Yeah. There's no point in talking you know. about breeds because everybody has their own opinion about their own dogs, but they think you're talking about vicious dogs, dogs that are, are inclined to attack ordinarily. No, I'm not talking about the vicious dogs. Mm. Well, that's what I mean. Yeah. That, but when people think yeah, that dogs yeah. are a threat to the sheep, they think that that's that type of dog rather than their cute pet, rather than yeah. Fido that you were talking about yeah. in those 1970s. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. No, yeah. yeah. It's, in, it's, in, it's in a dog's nature to hunt, you know what I mean? And, mm. and Brendan High in the Miskin has an ongoing problem with his sheep being, being worried up there. And mm. we have an ongoing problem in the county and the country with, the, with, with sheep being worried. And, and does he know and, the uh, dogs that are worrying the sheep? He he does. He see he's seen seen the dog in in the field. Right. He also so he also knows after, he also knows after, the owner then, and I'm sure he's spoken yeah, to the after, owner. Has after he? a neighbour's cattle, and it's not just one dog. Yeah, there's, okay. there's seen other dogs in in the field as, as well. You know. Mm. And, and what, what, guess, what have people said to him to, to Brandon when he, he said to them, "Look, your dog is worrying the sheep." How have they responded? Maybe not not not, not very easily. You know what I mean? Really? Uh, not very easily. But um, you know, like and it's not Michael just. Um, it's not just dogs leaving their their home, leaving their dwelling house, and going after um, after sheep. It's also uh, we have a problem here in some areas of the Cooley Mountains with uh, with hillwalkers bringing their dogs, with, with a small percentage of hillwalkers yeah. bringing their dogs up onto the mountain. And this is like a red rag to a sheep farmer. You know, there's a countryside code there, and we want to respect it that no dogs are allowed. Farmers have worked with the National Trails Office and mm. IFA has worked with the National Trails Office to, to have agreed walks on the mountain, which are a huge benefit uh, to tourism and, and, and to local, a great amenity to local people and everything else. Mm. You know, and if, if we're all to coexist, you know, that countryside code has to be respected. Yeah, and, people, and people don't I, think, obviously. You know, they think, well, yeah. there's nobody around and let the dog off the lead. And Michael, there's a serious mm. problem there. I don't know whether you've seen it uh, in the Dublin mountains. Now, yeah. they, mm. their, their property rights would be different. There's, 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 uh, there's a national park. You know, mm. the farmers wouldn't have the mm. same rights as we'd have. But they have a national park there. And they, the, the farmers there who have grazing rights there, they nearly can't. They can't put their sheep up there and out to the mountain. Because of walkers, bad. yeah. yeah. Mm. I, was, I was contacted by a farmer there recently in Bally McKellett, um, who, 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 um, who, who blamed me for not doing enough but uh, about uh, dogs going up through the, the Keelcher Forest uh, in Ballymacellis and then people, you know, people bringing their dogs up through the forest in Ballymacellis mm. and letting their dogs off then and, and hunting sheep that's in the forest are going to get getting from the forest onto the onto the Cooley Mountains then and mm. going after sheep, you know. Like, and there's the same problem down, down there yeah. in, in Dublin, in the Dublin Mountains. And I, you know? I find it so hard to understand because these are people who are out for a walk with their dog and fair enough, the dog runs off. Mm. But for how long? Like, is it for five minutes or for an hour? Like, do they not yeah, realise? And, and these dogs, Michael, too, I've been talking to hillwalkers, they can intimidate other hillwalkers mm. who just want to go out for a walk and right. enjoy themselves, you know. Oh, yeah, and yeah. I suppose we, we as farmers, Michael, we can't cater for hillwalking mm. dogs. We can only kill, cater for hillwalking people, you know, and people are very welcome to come to the Cooley Mountains and walk. And tell me know. a little bit more about the nature of a, a dog, uh, because uh, you say it's in every dog's nature to hunt or to attack or to worry sheep, as the case may be. Uh, is it all the worse if they do it once, if a dog tastes blood, in other words? 
Oh, she wants to get the sniff and Michael that that yeah, they, they do it for 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 fun. You know what I mean? Yeah, they do it for sport. Yeah, yeah. So it's it's important that you know any dogs that that have been a half the sheep that they are put down. You know, especially if they're involved in in a severe attack. You know, you know if if, if they have uh, if they have wounded animal and and they're like Brendan's at the loss of them two sheep now. In in one had to be put down by yeah. the vet. And it's the cost, uh, but not just the cost, it's the stress and uh, the upset oh, yeah. that it costs as oh, well. Oh, definitely. Yeah, uh, on the whole family, Michael. Yeah. And mm-hmm. like dogs don't dogs don't go out and kill too from nine to five. Yeah. You know, they could yeah, kill yeah, they yeah. kill any time no. the night or uh, it could be Christmas Day, yeah. anything, you know. And you'd be and left to clean up and dispose of them very upsetting yeah. and the stress. Oh, it's right. For the whole family, yeah. now, I'm telling you, it, it, it can be very devastating. You okay, know? Matthew. I just, I just ask people again to be more responsible and, and for the dogs and just to remember that running free their dog can be a killer that's all right. right thanks for that Matthew and, thanks Michael uh, for, for that. joining us this right. morning Matthew McGreehan IFA Rural Development Chairman Michael Reed on LMFM time now as is usual around this time on a Tuesday for our weekly visit to the Garda Crime Desk as usual there's a number of incidents uh, that Gardaí are investigating locally and perhaps you can assist with those investigations Sergeant Ronan Farrelly from Navin Station joins us for this week's report and unfortunately we begin with uh, an appeal for information from anybody who may have witnessed a fatal road traffic collision. Yes, Michael, good morning. Um, This fatal road traffic collision happened on Sunday afternoon in Enfield. It happened on the Johnstown Road out of Enfield. That's the R402 and it happened at 1.25pm. Now, the circumstances are that a group of motorcyclists, about 20 motorcyclists, were travelling south from Enfield Village towards Johntown Bridge and near the entrance to the Johnstown House Hotel, two of the motorcyclists were in collision with a jeep. Now, tragically, one of the motorcyclists was fatally injured at the scene. A second uh, was seriously injured, and he was taken to Connolly Hospital in Blanchardstown. Gardaí are appealing for any witnesses that haven't yet come forward to contact them, please, at Trim Garda Station. All right. I think anybody listening to us uh, who has uh, had a loved one lose their life on the roads or being seriously injured o- on the roads will tell you that there's no good time of the year, particularly poignant uh, at this time of the year. But uh, we just appeal to anybody listening to us uh, this morning to take care in particular with the bad weather today on the roads and condolences to all involved in that particular story. We stay in County Mead and a spate of burglaries uh, that occurred on Wednesday night. Yes, it's the early hours of last Wednesday, the 21st, we had um, <coughs> three shops broken into in County Mead. Now, the first incident happened in Kells at half three in the morning. Um, a shop at John Street was broken into and a passerby observed two men coming out of the shop carrying property. They got into a silver Sab 93 and sped off in the Navin direction. So now, this is Tuesday night, Wednesday morning. This is really. Tuesday yeah. night yeah. into okay. Wednesday yeah. morning. Mm-hmm. Um, now, this silver Sab had false registration plates, 152MH plates fitted, which were false. That was at half three in the morning in Kells. Now, at 4am, this car appeared again in Ratote, and there was a break into the Spar supermarket on the Ferry House Road in Ratote. And we know that two men broke into that premises through the rear of the property and they took a small safe from the premises and some uh, bottles of alcohol. Uh, That was at 4am and then at 4.16am precisely, third premises was broken into on the Summerhill Road in Dunboyne. The day-to-day shop there was broken into. Three males forced the rear door open using crowbars and they took property mostly mostly comprising cigarettes. So again, we're appealing to anybody who may have seen that silver sab 
uh, people might have been working during the night. We already have one witness who's come forward with dash cam footage. So if you saw that SAB or saw anything suspicious overnight in those areas in County Mead, we'd ask you to contact your local Garda station. Okay, well, so uh, somebody can come forward with information on that. Uh, We've a a number of burglaries uh, this week, as is not unusual. Uh, The first of them in Dundalk. This happened uh, last Sunday afternoon. Yes, this happened at Fatima Court in Dundalk Sunday afternoon, sometime between 2pm and 8pm. A house was broken into. Now, the house is unoccupied and uh, an alert neighbour saw the front door open, raised the alarm. When the house was checked, we found that it was ransacked. Um, A quantity of sterling cash had been taken and a TV stroke DVD combi player was also taken. So perhaps somebody in Dundalk might have heard about somebody trying to sell or offload Mm -hmm. this TV DVD combi player and if they have any information Dundalk already would appreciate a call We've a, a second burglary in Dundalk and this happened at some stage over the weekend Yes yeah, sometime between Friday evening and Sunday evening a house at Phillips Street was broken into now the alarm wasn't raised until Sunday evening um, it appears that somebody got in through the rear window of the house and took um, valuable jewellery rings necklaces and a Louis Vuitton bag uh, quite valuable property there taken. Uh, that was Phillip Street in Dundalk sometime over the weekend. So uh, if anybody has any information that can assist with that investigation, again, Dundalk Gardy would appreciate a call. OK, and uh, we're to conclude uh, this week uh, with a stolen motorbike. Uh, this happened on Saturday night, Sunday morning. Yes, yeah, sometime in the early hours of Sunday morning, a shed was broken into at Kilberry outside Wilkinstown in Navan. It happened between 1am and 5am and a scrambler type motorbike was taken. It's described as a blue Yamaha motorbike, uh, no registration number, it's a, it's a scrambler type motorbike. Perhaps somebody in the trade, somebody that's uh, dealing in motorcycles mm. might have heard about somebody trying to offload this or f- sell parts from that particular bike. And if they have any information, Nav and Gardaí are investigating that. Well, that's it. Uh, I suppose if you're offered a, a cheap motorbike or what seems to be a cheap motorbike or a cheap TV, as the case yes. may be, uh, there may be a reason for it and the Gardaí would like to hear from it. There's also the confidential line that people can give you information yes, on Yes, Michael, well, that's yeah. 1-800-666-111. All right, well, thank you indeed uh, for that, Sergeant Ronan Farley of Navangarda Station. And we'll return to the Garda Crime Desk in around the same time on next Tuesday's programme. Now, we've uh, a little over a, a minute left this morning, uh, so uh, let's uh, hear more from you. Maggie's back with us. Uh, you have some more comments there, Maggie. I have a couple. I'll try and get, uh, get them in before the end of the programme. Margaret was in touch with us in relation to um, the criminal system or the justice system, as we were talking about earlier in the programme. She says our legal system is called the criminal justice system for a reason. And, and that says that all as far as she's concerned it works for the criminal rather than the victim Oh, OK, right, that's uh, somewhat cynical Yeah, it is a little mm-hmm. bit, but that's how she was feeling this morning um, Anne as well was on the, in touch with the same subject She said that reform of the system is needed at the moment um, The system is more on the side of the criminal than the victim and it's utterly wrong There's no deterrence to stop people re-offending and that's where the problem lies Until that changes, we won't see any improvements Right, uh, and that's adding to what we've been hearing There's been a, a swell of calls uh, and each of them echoing that sentiment uh, following on from what uh, former Garda and whistleblower John Wilson had to say to us on the program.
programme yesterday. And on the same mm. subject, um, Jack said, Michael, you asked the question how we've ended up in this situation. Mm. And he said the answer is simple. Once you take discipline away in in the home and in schools, we're on a slippery slope. And that's why we are where we are now. The genie's out of the bottle in society, so mm. anything goes. All right. Well, strong views indeed, if ever there was. And thanks to everybody for sharing them with us. And thanks, Maggie, for that matter. That has to be the final word on the show today, though, because our time has run out on us once again. Remember, there'll be a podcast of today's show available on our website, lmfm.ie, this afternoon, if you'd like to listen back for some reason. Before we go, thanks to Maggie McGuire for researching the programme as always. Chris Murray in the control tower as well. I'm Michael, and God willing, we'll see you for our next programme tomorrow morning at 9am, right here on LMFM. Good morning. Bye-bye. The Michael Reed Show podcast. Tune in weekdays from 9 on LMFM. To contact us, email now. Michael at lmfm.ie